Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Welcome to the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network. The only place with a show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? I'm your host, Nara Wang, and my guest for episode 34 returns a year after we discussed what at the time looked like it was going to be a fall devoid of football for USC. Dr. Seamus Carr, Associate Professor of Surgery in the Thoracic Surgery Branch of the National Cancer Institute at the National Institutes of Health, and former walk-on water polo player for the Trojans, is back for a checkup if you will, of where we stand with COVID as it relates to sports. Seamus, glad to have you back on the Everything USC podcast. Thanks, Nara. Great to be back. I just can't believe a year (laughs) and what a year it's been, huh? It's been crazy. And of course, if you enjoy listening to the show, please subscribe, download, and rate it wherever you get your favorite podcasts, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, or more. Or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, you can find and follow me on Twitter, at Nara Wang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Dr. Carr, I know you're not the social media magnet, but any websites or social media for your work or anything else you want to get out there, here's your chance. Yeah, so, you know, as it relates to COVID, Obviously, continue to follow uh, the CDC website. You can follow uh, websites and get a lot of information, uh, NIH.gov, National Institutes of Health website. And then obviously, through your local and state boards of health for all the latest and greatest on what we continue to deal with. The Everything USC podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. If you're into sports betting, Bet Online is where you should go to win money today, whether it's live bets during games or futures for who you think will win the championship. Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So, before the next big game, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet online, your online sportsbook experts. The Everything USC podcast is also brought to you by Balance 7. So I don't know if you've heard, but apparently former NBA player Lamar Odom may be returning to pro basketball in Spain soon. I was reading a press release about how he started taking a pH balancing alkaline supplement called Balance 7, and that's what has helped him bounce back from his hospitalization in 2015. He even said, quote, I have an enormous amount of energy, which is good for me. It's important when working out. I always need energy to level up, unquote. Couldn't agree more with Lamar. And after watching him fight Aaron Carter in July's celebrity boxing match, I think it's safe to say that Balance 7 is working for him. Cool thing is, we've got a promotion running with Balance 7 right now, where if you go to their website, balance7.com, and use the code BELIEVE at checkout, you'll receive a free 4-ounce bottle of My Smooth Skin with any purchase of Balance 7 products. That product retails at $13.99, so I'd say it's worth it. 
Again, head to balance7.com and use the code BLEAV at checkout to get in on the promotion. I know I will. If it worked for him, it can work for you too. It's been exactly one year since I had my longtime friend, Dr. Seamus Carr, on to record a show for the Everything USC podcast. At this time last year, none of the COVID-19 vaccines that are currently available to Americans had been approved for emergency use yet by the FDA. In fact, we were still months away from that happening last August. College sports were suffering as usual from a lack of leadership and guidance at the NCAA level, with each conference seemingly doing its own thing and changing directions from week to week. There was so much unknown at the time about how safe it was to be playing sports, especially without a bubble set up like the NBA was using in Orlando. So, Dr. Carr, where do we stand as a country when it comes to the coronavirus pandemic one year since you were last a guest on this podcast? Well, I I wish I could say that I see a light at the end of the tunnel. But unfortunately, as we're recording this podcast, some states like Louisiana and Florida are into a fourth wave of COVID cases. You know, other places like Texas, they've run out of ICU beds for children for any medical issue because of the amount of COVID admissions in children. So, you know, we've come a long way. We've learned a lot. We've certainly learned a lot. And we've made some really big strides and some very promising steps forward. And I think with a bit of kind of esprit de corps in the United States, and uh, I think we could get there and finally see the light at the end of the tunnel. But I think we've come a really long way. But unfortunately, I think we've got a ways to go. And one of the things we discussed last year were the effects that COVID-19 could possibly have, long-lasting effects that we weren't sure of on athletes and people in general. So how much more do we know about the effects on those who have had COVID-19? Yeah, so again, we've come so far. First, I'm going to talk about a little bit of what we talked about last year um, with the athletes. We've got a lot more information on this. And we talked last time about we are starting to see this myocarditis, inflamed heart, or pericarditis, which is inflammation of the sac around the heart in these patients who develop COVID. We weren't sure what it meant. We were seeing these patients and some of these athletes uh, incredibly short of breath, unable to run. They were on the sidelines. They weren't able to participate in their sports or train. And we just really didn't know how bad it was going to be. Luckily, there have been some really good studies in the sports medicine community I think at large should really be given a big kudos for really stepping up to the plate and taking this seriously and not just taking it seriously, but doing really good, rigorous studies. The Big Ten, you know, Wisconsin, Michigan, those schools ended up looking at athletes only, COVID positive, and then looking at them and trying to identify who did and did not have episodes of cardiac myocarditis. And what we found was that it does exist. But it was luckily not to the level that we were expecting from a lot of people. And it wasn't as widespread, which is a good thing. Additionally, nobody died from it. There weren't any athletes who died, fortunately, from the myocarditis, which is something we were very much worried about. We also learned that a lot of the basic tests that they were using aren't really as sensitive and specific to really nail down the diagnosis. But there is uh, a lot of promise using uh, what's called a cardiac-gated MRI. So it's a MRI is a magnetic resonance imaging. A lot of people get it for, you read about it in sports all the time for their knee or their shoulder or stuff like that. But we can actually do it 
where we can look at the heart. And when you use cardiac aided MRI for the heart, the findings go up significantly. But the good news is, is that it allows us just to kind of keep a closer eye on those athletes, let them recover fully and let them get back to doing what they want to do, which is play sports, you know, or all of us want to do is play sports. So from that standpoint, we've learned a lot. We also have learned that it just takes us the ability to treat it conservatively like we do with any type of inflammatory condition. So, you know, non-steroidal anti-inflammatories, rest, and kind of taking a little bit of time off. We've also though learned that just for full disclosure, there is a very slight, even slighter risk of developing cardiac, the myocarditis from the vaccines. Now, I'm going to put everybody here hopefully uh, uh, rest and, and, and let everybody relax and not everybody freak out that, oh, this is another reason to not get a vaccine. No, that absolutely positively not. In a study of about 2 million people who received a full COVID vaccination schedule with either the Pfizer-BioNTech, the Moderna, or the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So those first two are two-dose vaccines, the Johnson Johnson's a single dose. They had 20 people, 20 out of 2 million, right? So just to kind of, you know, put that a little bit into perspective, if you think about like what happens at one in a hundred thousand, you have a significantly higher likelihood, a five times higher likelihood of dying in a car accident than you do of getting myocarditis while getting your vaccine. So that shouldn't be a reason why people don't get their vaccine. We also unfortunately know a lot about long haul COVID. And that's something that we just, this is in its real infancy. There are people out there now we're seeing who are having these protracted, long term chronic symptoms secondary to their COVID infection, and they're just not coming back from it. You know, they continue to be tired, they continue to have shortness of breath, fatigue, muscle aches, arthralgias, arthritis symptoms. And we just don't know enough about this disease. We don't know how to treat it. We don't know what's going on with it, but we're definitely no questions asked seeing these long haul COVID patients. So we've come a long way. We've definitely learned so much in the past year, but at the same time, we, we've still got a lot to learn, you know, but we've got three amazing vaccines available to us in the United States, all with amazing efficacy. So, you know, if I could say one thing and over and over and over again, it's, you know, get vaccinated, get vaccinated, get vaccinated. They're really, you know, unless you've got some medical condition and that point, you should really be speaking to your primary care doctor about it. But otherwise, really, best thing I think we can all do is get vaccinated. I would agree with that. And I would say that just like with any kind of new disease that pops up, it's going to be years and years before we know the full effects of everything. So that's kind of why, like you said, we've learned so much just in one year is because the more you study it, the more you're going to learn about it. So it's good to know that some of the effects, like you said, of the myocarditis that we were definitely worried about when we talked last year have looked to be not as big a problem as we thought it might be. But obviously, the long haul COVID is something to keep an eye on as we go forward. And one thing I do want to ask you about, and this comes from personal experience, is regarding breakthrough cases where vaccinated people are catching COVID. You've seen probably the most reported part has been with the New York Yankees, where a lot of their players got the Johnson & Johnson vaccine and have been testing positive for COVID. But from personal experience, I can let everyone know that I'm fully vaccinated 
back in May, and yet just the week ago, I managed to test positive for COVID myself, and I'm doing pretty well. I lost the sense of taste and smell, which was kind of the indicator that, hmm, maybe I got COVID, I went to get tested, and for the most part, I've been feeling okay, slowly getting the taste and smell back, but didn't have any crazy fevers, had a little bit of body aches, Occasionally have to cough up a little bit of uh, mucus, but for the most part, and I think it's because I was fully vaccinated, I've been okay. But what do we know and why are we seeing these breakthrough cases despite people having the vaccine and they're still getting COVID? Well, first, I'm glad that, you know, you're on the mend and you're starting to feel better. I mean, but, you know, your case highlights a number of really, really important points. So first is in patients who are vaccinated, there will be what we call breakthrough cases. But we need to think of it not really as a breakthrough case because we know that the vaccine has about a 95-ish, 90 to 95% what we call efficacy. So that means one out of every 10 patients or one out of every 20 patients could end up testing positive for COVID down the road. And that's just, that's it. But even if they test positive, the symptoms are significantly more mild than if they had tested positive and it contracted COVID and were not vaccinated. Those are the people who are now ending up in the intensive care units. If you look nationally, right now, I think if I remember seeing it correctly, it's only about four out of every 1,000 patients who are currently being hospitalized in the United States who are hospitalized actually had uh, the vaccine, whereas the other 996 patients were not vaccinated. When you look at the total number of people who have recently died from COVID, it's only one in a thousand hospitalized patients who did die. So you got to take all the people who are hospitalized and then only those who die. And of all the people who died, only one was a vaccinated patient. So this is a disease that it's maybe not preventable. We're going to have to learn to live with COVID, just like we learned to live with the flu. And we've learned to live with chickenpox. And we've learned to live with so many of these other contagious viruses that do rear their ugly heads occasionally. But getting the vaccine helps to mitigate it. So that way, if you do catch it, you have much more mild symptoms. And you are less likely to be a COVID long hauler. You're less likely to be in the intensive care unit. You're less likely to end up on a ventilator. You're less likely to die by a lot. It's not just like, hey, a little bit. This is like night and day is, is a good way to think about it. So I think you know we're going to continue to see these, quote, breakthrough cases, but we just need to say it's not really a breakthrough. It's just, it is what it is, right? I mean, it's, this is the natural history and this is the way the human body works. So, you know, continue to do all the things you've been doing. I'm sure, you know, wearing a mask when you're indoors, doing your best to obviously stay six feet away, three to six feet away from people, depending on where you are, whether indoors or outdoors, continue to wash your hands. And, you know, you were great. You know, the fact that you had the symptoms and then you were like, oh my gosh, this isn't right. And then you go and get a test and sure enough, it's positive, but we're here having this conversation. You're at your place. I'm at my place, but you know, you're not intubated in the ICU, which uh, would probably be a difficult podcast. You know what I'm saying? That'd be a hard podcast to do if I had a tube down my throat, right? I I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, Impossible. Unless you're really good at doing the sign language podcast or something. I'd be blinking my eyes on this podcast right now to (laughs) communicate apparently if that was happening. So you're exactly right. And 
I agree. I think it's kind of like people can get a flu shot and still get the flu. And eventually, I think COVID is going to end up kind of being that thing where maybe we do need to get a COVID shot as kind of boosters. And we'll see how all of that goes down the line. But you're right. COVID is here and it's going to be around. And the best thing you can do to mitigate all of this stuff is to get vaccinated. But obviously, we've heard a lot about this Delta variant and it continues to mutate, obviously, out there. So where do we need to get to in order to say, hey, we've got this pandemic under control? And how far away do you think we are from that currently? So again, the numbers for herd immunity are, are still, as what Dr. Fauci was saying you know, a year ago, we need to have well over 80% of the American population vaccinated to be in that idea of herd immunity. You've got certain states like Vermont, which is leading the way uh, in terms of vaccinations where they're approaching, last I heard, they're approaching 90% of all eligible patients, so 12 years of age and over in the state of Vermont, have been vaccinated. And you know, I had a friend recently come back from a trip up to Burlington, Vermont, and look, he's like, we're in bars, everybody's back at it again. They're acting as if it's not there but they're acting like it's not there and they're vaccinated as opposed to you know Louisiana which sounds like they have been acting also like you know it's not there anymore but they're one of the least vaccinated states in the entire United States i think it's them Idaho and it's either Alabama or Mississippi i can't recall which are the kind of unfortunately the bottom 3 but we just we need to kind of you know step it up for for all of us you know we're a community not just locally but you know at the state level regionally nationally and globally and the best thing we can do is vaccinate 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 and i just wish you know we would continue to trust the science the science is good the science is sound you bring up a great point about the possibility of these like booster shots i don't yet know if that's going to be the case for people who don't have a compromised immune system that has just been approved for people with a compromised immune system, a booster shot. But, you know, there's something in the ballpark, let me see, probably about 60,000 people who were involved in the initial trials for Pfizer and Moderna, and they're being followed and they're still being actively followed with blood tests and all this other stuff. So we'll get information coming down the road and it might change, but maybe we'll need boosters, maybe we won't. But we can learn to live with this, but it's going to be a lot easier to live with if we're vaccinated at a level where these mutations don't rear their ugly heads and cause problems like they are now. And bringing it back to the sports world in general, how much safer is it to be playing sports now compared to last year? We've made a lot of strides. And I mean, I think if the one thing that the Tokyo Olympics did show is that, you know, there was all, you know, this, oh my gosh, everybody, this is going to be a huge outbreak in the athletes village and stuff like that. And we just didn't see it. You know, there are some schools out there that have touted their vaccination rates. And I think they're going to do a really good job and they're going to be able to get back to it, you know, locally. And, you know, you know, when I've been on the podcast before, people know I've got some young kids, they play for their high school, their schools, and then kind of local club sports. And, you know, these kids are staying in the bubbles and they're doing well, and we're doing a great job. And we're getting to the point where they're vaccinated and they can run around and play outdoors. But, you know, there's also some things that are a little bit odd. Like, I mean, you know, that I'm part and parcel of the water polo big time, but, you know, here on the East Coast, it's kind of played indoors, but you kind of can't play water polo with a mask on in a pool, but you're right up on somebody. That's going to be something that we're going to have to kind of cross this year. We did play it last year. 
in the spring here on the East Coast, and we didn't have any cases in our school, which was great. You know, hopefully that can continue. But I think we're going to be able to return to sports on the outdoors and start to see that stuff again. So the athletes will be able to compete and, and that'll be great. So I think that's where we are. Do you think there are any other precautions that leagues or schools or teams should be taking that you aren't seeing being done already or not to a level that you feel they should be at? Yeah, I'll tell you, I was a little disappointed as a physician. You know, I've got a son and a daughter who play lacrosse and got friends and their kids play lacrosse on, you know, these national level tournaments. And we were at a big tournament out in Colorado this year with my son's national team. And you know, nobody was wearing a mask on the sidelines at all. And I know that 100% of the people weren't vaccinated. And, uh, you know, I don't even know if 70% were vaccinated. But, you know, it's like, oh, hey, listen, there's a vaccine. And I'm sure some people are vaccinated. So we're just not going to wear a mask on the sidelines. So, you know, luckily, it was outdoors and the weather was great. So we were able to kind of stay socially distant. And the kids stay in their little kind of team in a pod. So that went well. But I kind of just you know, there's times when I would be walking through a crowd and I'd, I'd kind of put my mask on and, you know, I, you kind of get some looks, but whatever, you know, it's the right thing to do. Look, masks suck. We get it. Nobody wants to wear them, but they're the right thing to do. And until we get a little further along, I think we should kind of keep your mask in your pocket, you know, put it on when you are going to be in close quarters. Let's just do it for the community. Yeah, I think you're right. Masks do suck. I think a lot of people are tired of wearing them, but as long as this is still out there and we haven't gotten to a herd immunity point and we're not at a point where more variants could possibly cause spikes in coronavirus rates, I think anything you can do to try and be safer and just show the common courtesy to your fellow human being is something we should all be doing more of. So absolutely. Hopefully that's going to be happening. And of course, this is the Everything USC podcast. I'm Nara Wang. My guest today, longtime friend, Dr. Seamus Carr, Associate Professor of Surgery in the Thoracic Surgery Branch of the National Cancer Institute at the National Institutes of Health, and of course, former walk-on water polo player for the USC Trojans. And if you enjoy this show, you can subscribe and rate it, get it wherever you find your favorite podcasts, or go right to the website Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media at Believe Podcasts. If you want to reach out to me, I am on Twitter at Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Seamus, let the people know where they can find some information about COVID if they want. Yeah, continue to keep track of your local, state, and city boards of health. Continue to keep track of what's being put out by the CDC and obviously the National Institutes of Health. All have a lot of information on COVID and all of the issues that are coming along. This is Bernice O'Connor, USC Women's Warpole All American, Catino Award winner, 2000 Olympic silver medalist, and you're listening to the Everything USC podcast with Nora Wang on the Believe Podcast Network. When we were talking a year ago, it was during a time when the Pac-12 was following the lead of the Big Ten and postponing all fall sports. Obviously, the Pac-12 and Big Ten came around and reversed course and ended up playing football in the fall and starting some of the other sports in late 2020. And 
all of the conferences that did end up playing football in the fall faced numerous schedule changes due to COVID issues among teams. For USC, they ended up not playing Colorado due to COVID issues. And then in the Pac-12 championship game, they were supposed to play Washington from the north, but instead faced Oregon because Washington couldn't play due to a COVID outbreak, which if I think most people are going to be honest, sucked for USC because Oregon was a better team than Washington. And of course, the Trojans end up losing to the Ducks in the Pac-12 championship game. But it appears for this season that the NCAA is going to resume normal schedules for sports with the 2021-22 football season and school season in general that's going to start up this fall. So With no built-in open dates for possible schedule disruptions due to COVID, it appears that forfeits may be a possibility this season. Do you expect to be seeing forfeits happening this fall? Unfortunately, I think the answer is going to be yes. You know, I'm not a big NFL watcher, but I do know that they have put out a policy where they've linked total vaccination rates. And if a game has to be, quote, postponed, due to COVID and you're not at that vaccination rate level as a team, it's a forfeit. And I think that, I hate to say it, but I think that's a good way to go. I mean, look, we as fans want to see athletes play. We want to see the sports that we love to watch and and see them happen again and help kind of heal a little bit of the fabric of what's been going on in the past year. And I know the athletes want to play. I mean, this is what they've been doing their whole lives, you know, kind of trying to accomplish. And for some of them, you know, college, this is it, you know, uh, this is going to be the final hurrah of big time, you know, sports and others will get to go on to some professional level or maybe even on to Olympics and things like that. But I, I think that we just need to have those athletes and those coaches figure out what's the priority. And if the priority is getting the athletes, the games, then we need to do it in a safe manner. And if that safe manner means vaccinations, then that's what we need to do. And if they can't come around to getting their vaccinations for whatever reason, and they have to cancel because they don't have any players, you know, it's a forfeit. My kids youth lacrosse league, you know, I mean, if one of the teams only shows up with nine kids, we don't play lacrosse. We don't play 10 on nine for boys. It's a forfeit and everybody goes home a little early. So I hope that's not what happens. I hope that we're going to get a lot of these schools and they're going to help make it a priority. And they're going to talk to the athletes and get them the information and get them to get vaccinated. And hopefully we won't have these kind of issues, but I won't be surprised if, you know, it's not, I don't think it's going to be widespread, but I, I wouldn't be surprised. And it would really be a pain if some school then gets left off of some bowl game or some availability to play in you know the postseason or whatever because they had to forfeit a game or two because of COVID. But if they're forfeiting because they're not willing to get vaccinated, then that's a different issue. And I don't think we should be bending over backwards when there is viable options. Although one thing I think you could imagine, I could imagine some people saying on your podcast is like, yeah, but right now it's emergency use, right? The vaccines are technically under emergency use. But within, my guess is by the middle of September, if not sooner, both the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccines will have full FDA authorization. So they're not going to have the ability to say, well, you know, this was emergency use. Look, there's so many people have now been vaccinated. We know that these are safe. Let's just get vaccinated and let's get back to playing sports. And maybe all those people who are waiting for more research before they get vaccinated will pay attention to that once it gets the full 
authorization because I always love hearing that when like, oh, I need to do more research or I need to do this. And it's like, well, what research are you doing? Right. I mean, there's plenty of stuff out there if you want to find out about how important and efficable these vaccines are. So it would seem then that this would put a premium on teams and coaches and support staff to get vaccinated or be vaccinated. So how much of an advantage do you think that might end up being for, let's just say, I mean, our old pal, former USC coach Lane Kiffin, now the head coach at Ole Miss, he came out and said, hey, we are 100% vaccinated, which is stunning to me, first of all, because it's the state of Mississippi. So the fact that there's 100% vaccination for anything that's going on in Mississippi is amazing. But They're out saying, hey, we're 100% vaccinated. How important a distinction could that be? Because everyone's looking for an edge, right, to maybe be a winner. And you have a team that's fully vaccinated. I mean, that's an edge, isn't it? Yeah. You know, I mean, first of all, I mean, who would have said that, you know, you've got you and I turning around and being like, wow, Lane Kiffin, this guy's amazing, (laughs) (laughs) you know? And, And then second, you're right. I mean, he's got a 100% vaccination rate on the Old Miss football team in the state of Mississippi, which is barely, I don't even think they're at 50% or if they are, they're just over. You know, when I saw that um, in the news, I was talking to my wife and I said, I don't know what Lane Kiffin has said, done or how he's done it, but we need to bottle it and we need to put that out as a public service announcement. I mean, Lane Kiffin, you know, the face of getting vaccinated, you know, like. That's the biggest upset there is right there. Yeah, I I just, I'm like, hey, listen, good on you, Lane. You know, I mean, that's completely often, you know, I hope that whatever Coach Kiffin was doing at Ole Miss, I mean, the fact that he's got 100% vaccination rate, you know, as far as I'm concerned, he should immediately be in the bowl championship series for that alone. <laughs> so uh, regardless of how good his team plays, but I do, I think you're right. I think there's an advantage and I think that's an important thing. And, and he's got his guys vaccinated and he's still weeks away from the first game. So any of the ill effects that some people have had, some people get a, you know, they feel a little bit under the weather for you know, 12, 24 hours or so after the first or second dose look, he's going to be well past that. He's going to have his whole team there. They're going to be able to practice. They're not going to be pulling a guy out. They're not going to be pulling two guys out. They're not going to have to quarantine people. He's going to have the ability to have his whole team all the time. Oh, hey, there's an injury. Oh, hey, guess what? The backup guy's vaccinated too. Like, you know, whereas, you know, you have other places where, I mean, you remember some games last year where, you know, somebody would come down with COVID and then they would lose four starting linemen and there would be an entire backup group of linemen. So I think he's got an advantage and great job, Coach Giffen. Whatever you said, put it out in Mississippi as a public service announcement and see if you can help get that whole state up to 100%. That would be amazing. Yeah, that would be amazing. So how do you think we're going to have to deal with the teams that, you know, have these high vaccination rates, but then you still might have the so-called breakthrough cases where yeah. someone who is vaccinated then gets tested positive for COVID. How do you think that gets handled in the grand scheme of sports? That's going to be a little trickier question, right? Because what we do know that's just recently come out is with the Delta variant, that even vaccinated people who test positive for the COVID Delta variant can transmit the COVID Delta variant to other people. Well, you know, for instance, I don't know, you know, obviously, I don't know if they tested your COVID swab to know whether or not you had the Delta variant or not. But I'm going to tell you where you're living. There's no question in my mind that you got the Delta variant, that period. 
that's what the statistics would say, no questions asked. So you can spread it, but luckily your time of when you are going to spread it is significantly shorter and you're going to be fully recovered sooner. You know, what's going to happen as we move forward with sports? That's a great question, but you know, I would rather, I'd rather answer that question in the future than the, what are we doing with all of these people when nobody's getting vaccinated and everybody's positive? Because again, the likelihood of getting positive COVID test after being vaccinated is significantly lower than picking up COVID after having never been vaccinated. So I think this will come up, but I don't think we're going to see an entire team wiped out or an entire area quarantined or things like that. I, I think you may lose a couple players here or there, but just like you would if they had gotten the flu or come down with chicken pox or come down with whatever, you know what I mean? Like, I think it's going to be very similar. And so even as we see teams are getting vaccination numbers up, maybe just because they're forced to, because the guidelines that are put in place so value the fact that if you are vaccinated, you get lighter restrictions on movement, on having people around in these rooms to coach you up and all of that kind of stuff. But like we talked about using, again, Mississippi as an example, that whole team might be vaccinated, but a lot of the fans that are going to go watch them are not. So what are your thoughts on whether fans should have to be vaccinated or show proof of a negative COVID test in order to attend games? Wow. Okay. So you, you, you put me on the spot, obviously, with um, you know, a, a tough question. So you know, I think that's obviously a, that's a sticky, a sticky issue and it'll always be a sticky issue. Obviously, the more people who are vaccinated, the easier it's going to be. But the ability to say, you know, we need proof of vaccination to come into the stadium. I'm not so sure I'm a fan of that. You know, I think that there are some things out there where you don't maybe need to, you know, have that badge of honor or whatever to show that you can go to the sporting event. You know, maybe you get the more live streaming, you know, pay-per-view in a, in a way that, you know, so that way the games, maybe if it's not televised, you're able to get it or experience it in a different way. I don't know. They may have to get creative. I think that also limiting the total number of people uh, that come inside the stadium. I think if there's anything, I think for the time being, that's what I would probably advocate. And I would probably, if I was advising the NCAA, on this topic, they may want to consider tying it to local vaccination rates, right? So if 50% of the population is vaccinated, you can have 50% of the attendance in the stadium. If you're at 90%, you can have 90% because that will help to allow people to have some return to normalcy, but at the same time, get to experience you know, live sporting events, which I think are going to help us heal. But at the same time, it may be a safe way. And, and that's just kind of something that's totally my opinion. No science, no data behind it. That's just kind of thinking about it off the top of my head. I think that would be a reasonable way to go forward. I don't know if it would be a workable solution, but you know, I think you could get behind it. And then communities could turn around and be like, hey, listen, we really want to see, you know, Auburn, Alabama, right? Or something like that, you know, a Georgia, Florida game. And all of a sudden, those two areas. Their states are like, wait a minute, you know, Georgia, Florida is coming up. We want to go to this game, you know, or you turn around and, hey, Georgia's, let's say, is at 80%. And if Florida's only at 50%, then Florida only gets 50% of the tickets that they would otherwise have been allotted. And Georgia gets the rest, you know, something like that, where 
you make it a little bit even, you know, maybe generate the rivalry, use the sports rivalries to maybe get rivalries on who could be vaccinated more. I don't know. There's got to be somebody who's, you know, smarter than me and more creative than me and definitely more socially active than me on social networks to come up with some cool idea that would make sense. And then I think that might help. Just kind of some thoughts. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I, you know, people can come up with a million ideas. Like maybe they should shoot you ideas on Twitter and you can read them out on one of your next podcasts and we can see what they are and maybe give some votes. I mean, I think what you're talking about is kind of like what leagues are doing, loosening restrictions around teams and individuals who are vaccinated as sort of an incentive, basically, for athletes and coaches to get the shots. You're kind of extrapolating that to fans where maybe if you mandate a certain level of vaccination, that's a way to get more people vaccinated who are then going to be allowed to go to games. It's basically some kind of incentive. And in the meantime, I think, though, that most places, because they lost so much money last year, they're going to want to get back to full attendance, regardless of what's going on in the communities. And that's where we unfortunately may see kind of those super spreader type of things if people aren't vaccinated and you end up having COVID cases. So it's going to be interesting to see where places allow full attendance or not full attendance, and if masks are going to be required to be worn, and all of that kind of stuff. So that is going to be a really interesting question because you might be seeing a situation where you have teams that are playing that are pretty much fully vaccinated and yet the fans in the stands may not be, which is going to be a weird dichotomy in that. But we'll see what happens there. And yeah, I think you're right. You know, and the fans, I mean, remember, if you're going to go to a big sporting event and you're going to, I mean, how many people does Michigan's big household now, like 4 billion or something <laughs> like that? I mean, they keep making it bigger and bigger every year, right? But no, I mean, all joking aside, I mean, 100 plus thousand people, you need to think and say, hey, listen, do I want to spread it to the woman to my right, who I don't know, who then spreads it to her kid, who then ends up in the intensive care unit? And then, oh, hey, that kid's not going to be able to go to Michigan because, oh, they died, right? Uh, it's a little short-sighted. And I wish you know, everybody would say, hey, listen, let's do this for the community. Let's do this for the good of the kids. Let's do this for the good of athletes. Let's do this for the good of the people who are the high risk, the older, infirmed people. Let's just do it for everybody and let's do it for our globe. And so, you know, let's get vaccinated. Well said. And of course, this is the Everything USC podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I am your host, Nara Wang. My guest today is Associate Professor of Surgery in the Thoracic Surgery Branch of the National Cancer Institute at the National Institutes of Health, Dr. Seamus Carr, longtime friend of mine since our days back at USC as students and now, of course, he is taking care of people as a thoracic surgeon and helping us educate ourselves a little bit more about what's going on with COVID, especially as it relates to sports today on this podcast, which you can subscribe and rate on all of your favorite podcast directories, iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, Luminary, TuneIn, or go right to the website, Believe.com, B-L-E-A-V.com, on social media, at Believe Podcasts. For me, if you want to contact me with USC or any other sports issues or questions, I'm on Twitter at Narawang Sports, N-A-R-A-W-E-N-G Sports. Seamus, I know you're not the social media guy, but where can people go for more information on COVID or other health-related issues? For COVID, one I forgot to mention before, Johns Hopkins obviously carries with it the data on what's going on with COVID cases worldwide. 
Then, of course, there's National Institutes of Health and the CDC are both excellent sources of information. For more of a local information, you can get your state or regional or city boards of health, which will be giving up-to-date status and information for your local community. What's up, everybody? Marcus Grant here from NFL Network, and you are listening to the Everything USC podcast with my longtime friend, Nara Wang, on the Believe Podcast Network. See, I say long time because it's better than saying old. Now, Seamus, let's have a little fun. Let's just talk some sports here and get away a little bit from the COVID. I think we've discussed plenty of that, but you are a former water polo player, which is one of those known as the Olympic sports. USC, of course, is well known for its success with Olympic athletes, and it was another impressive showing by Trojan athletes in the Tokyo Olympics. 11 gold medals, 5 silver, and 5 bronze won by USC. The 21 total medals ties the USC output from the last Summer Olympics in Rio. If USC were its own nation, 11 golds would have been 7th overall in the medal count, and the 21 total medals would have tied Brazil for 12th in the overall medal count. One of the big winners for USC was the Canadian sprinter Andre de Grasse. He won the 200 meters in track and field and took the bronze in the 100. Also got bronze in the 4x100 meter relay for Canada, along with teammate and former USC sprinter Aaron Brown. And of course, the ageless Allison Felix coming back after having her daughter and making it back to the Olympics and winning a bronze in the 400 meters along with gold on the 4x400-meter relay team. A couple of her teammates on that squad were Dalila Muhammad and in the prelim rounds, Kendall Ellis. So they get gold medals on that as well. Dalila Muhammad, of course, in one of the greatest races in Olympic history in the 400-meter hurdles, came up second to Sydney McLaughlin's world record effort there, but a successful games for USC's Dalila Muhammad. And then the men's 4x400-meter team had a couple of Trojans, Michael Norman and Rye Benjamin. Rye Benjamin, also in one of the great Olympic races, the men's 400-meter hurdles, where he breaks the world record time but loses the race to the Norwegian hurdler. So amazing performance by him, despite not getting the gold as an individual, but he does get a gold in the relay. And then April Ross completes her Olympic collection in beach volleyball. She'd already had a bronze and silver before. She gets the gold with her partner, Alex Kleinman. And then the water polo team on the women's side, the most dominant team in water polo, third straight Olympic gold, and there were four Trojans this year on that squad. Kaylee Gilchrist, Stefania Haralabidis, Paige Hauschild, who took off the last two seasons at USC to train with the national team, and the backup goalkeeper, Amanda Longan. So they defeated actually Spain, which had Ani Espar, another Trojan, on there, and then the Greece Men's water polo team won the silver. Costas Jenny Dunius, one of the members on that team, he was a Trojan. So a lot of Trojans, again, winning medals at the Olympics, something that we see pretty much every summer Olympics. And how much did you get to watch of the Olympics and how much do you kind of keep up with your fellow Trojan athletes? Yeah, so it's interesting. I, I'll be honest, I, I thought the coverage, at least in my greater Baltimore area, was kind of pretty not so great. 
it probably didn't help that it was, you know, 14 hours or so time zones between here and Japan. But I definitely, even though if I saw the report on in the news or on USC's sports webpage or on ESPN, I would always definitely flip back. And sometimes I'd watch some of the full games just to kind of see how it really looked. I mean, some of them were amazing. Uh, I mean, the women's 400 meter hurdles, like, oh my Lord, that was an amazing race. The men's 400 meter hurdles was also just an amazing race. I thought those were by far two of the most amazing races I saw of the track and field events. Allison Felix, she's a stud. I mean, she's, you know, I talk with my daughters and I'm like, this is what, you know, girl power, she can do it all. Like, I mean, she can run, win gold medals, raise a family, have a kid, do it all. I mean, she's timeless and just, I mean, super kudos to her. Obviously, you know, water polo, great to see how everybody did this year. The women's team, amazing. Your podcast not too long ago with Bernie Orwig, now O'Connor, you know, definitely called it that there was going to be some close games. But, you know, when they got to Spain in the end, it just everything clicked. They just played a great game. And, you know, amazing that there's four women in the water at one point who all played for USC between the two teams. I mean, that's just a testament to the, the USC water polo team. And the women who, you know, as you know, won the NCAA title last year. So it's great. I mean, it's always fun to see it. And, you know, even if they're not playing for the Team USA, I always keep track of the USC athletes. It kind of, it's almost becomes more fun than sometimes even watching, like from a USA standpoint, the 200 meter sprints. He was great. I mean, it's always fun to kind of see people who you might have bumped into or you might have heard from or, you know, you knew somebody who knew somebody about these people. So, just kudos to all of the medal winners and all of the athletes who represented their, not just the United States, but their home countries. There was the, the woman from Poland and skateboarding, everything, right? There was a lot of great USC athletics being put on display. And I think there's a reason why we keep winning lots of medals in the summer every time there's a summer Olympics. So that's awesome. I love it. I love it. It's always good to see the success of USC athletes. And real quick, since you brought it up, what do you think of like the new sports like skateboarding that debuted in Tokyo? Yeah, you know, I think it's good. I mean, there's some of the sports I'm starting to kind of, uh, I'm not even going to say which ones they are because I, you can, all you got to do is say like, oh, I didn't like underwater basket weaving and, you know, the underwater basket weaving community is going to attack you and tell you how their sport should still remain an Olympic sport and stuff like that. But I think some of them are cool and some of them are, I like. The one thing I, I'm not a big fan of is like team triathlon. Like it's like we're adding an event for the sake of adding an event. The team swimming, the co-ed swimming relays, I thought the US Olympic coaches completely screwed up on that one. Look, I mean, the woman who swam the breaststroke leg for us in the medley relay in the finals is amazing, right? I mean, she's totally amazing. But, you know, when you're going up against Adam Peaty from Great Britain and your near world record time is eight seconds slower than his world record time. I mean, Caleb Dressel, even with a rocket ship, is going to have a hard time catching everybody. So I think there's some events that I, I think they're reaching a little bit, but there's other sports that I think are starting to come online. You know, I'll tell you, I am very much looking forward to squash being played in Paris in 2024. We play a fair amount of squash here in Baltimore. One of my daughters dates a, a nationally ranked squash player, and it's amazing. It's a really fun game to watch. It's quick, it's fast paced, and, and I think it'll really help catch on. I'll be honest, I'm, uh, 
breakdancing. I mean, I was <laughs> going to say, Olympics. what about breakdancing? <laughs> yeah, no, I, I think, you know, that, that might've been a good sport for maybe, you know, 1984 LA, but I'm not so sure 2024 Paris is the right place for it. You know, my kids, as I've mentioned before, play lacrosse and lacrosse has now been officially recognized potentially as an Olympic sport. And it might get a shot the next time the Olympics come to the United States. I think that would be an amazing thing. And if they do, I would love, 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 love to see the Iroquois Nation, which is a Native American indigenous tribe that put together a lacrosse team for the World Cup and everything like that. And those guys, some of them are just, it's amazing. What those guys can do with a lacrosse stick is just creative and it's just a different level. There's a lot of great lacrosse players and some of them just, their creativeness is just really cool to watch. So I'm kind of hopeful that maybe lacrosse makes it. I love watching rugby, the sevens. That's so much fun to watch. And, you know, Fiji wins the gold again. That like just completely awesome for a small little tiny island nation. So there's a lot of the smaller sports that I just, I love watching. I won't get into the sports that I don't like because again, it's my opinion, but you know, it's fun, you know, it's fun. And I think the idea of some of these more modern, younger, cooler, what I'll call X game sports, I think that's great. And it's fun. And I think those people are real true athletes. It's not easy to do what they do and to dedicate themselves as much as they do. So if there's a venue for it, let's show it off. And now going from the Olympics to the sport that every USC person cares about, the upcoming football season, they're starting to practice for the fall season now. Of course, got quarterback Keaton Slovis returning for his third year as the starting QB. A really high-powered recruiting class came in in this offseason, led by the number one overall recruit in the country, defensive lineman Corey Foreman out of nearby Corona Centennial High School, who joins his buddy, the previous Corona Centennial star, Drake Jackson, on the team. And so, obviously, USC got ranked in the top 15 of the initial preseason coaches poll and there's always going to be some expectations for USC football what are your expectations for USC in the 2021 season you know I, I think that they've got some potential I mean I think there's some departures that might hurt us Stephen Carr no relationship but you know I think his transfer in the area of the running backs might be a little bit of an issue he knew the system he'd been here for a while but, you know, on the other side, you know, we do bring in transfer Kinente Ingram, probably mispronounced his first name, and I apologize to him. You know, so that's really great. You know, freshman Brandon Campbell is going to be hopefully getting some uh, reps. So, you know, I think that there's, you know, tailback you or are we quarterback you. I, I don't know which one we are anymore. So I think that there's some opportunities there. I think it'll be nice to have some solid line play. We'll have to wait and see. I don't know how deep we are. I think that's one of the things. And if, you know, some of the things we brought up earlier, as my kids say, the vid or the COVID, if we can steer clear of that, we can steer clear of some injuries. I think we've got a shot to, uh, you know, play again for the Pac-12 championship and hopefully this year bring it back. That would be nice. And of course, we're going to have the weird scheduling quirk where we end the season against BYU because Notre Dame is at Notre Dame, so it's in October out there in South Bend. And then the UCLA game is the week before that, so that Thanksgiving weekend is our final game of the regular season against BYU. How do you think that's going to go? So, 
you know, probably none of nobody else really listening to this podcast other than maybe one or two people know. So I spent a couple of years living and working in Utah at the University of Utah. And I actually got to know pretty well the old linebackers coach for BYU, Paul Tidwell, who just retired recently full-time from BYU. So there's a little part of me that I know is going to want to kind of cheer for Paul and his team that he played for, but you know, it's USC, but I think they've got a good team this year from hearing from my friend, Paul, that he's pretty excited the way BYU is looking. So that might turn out to be a bit of a sleeper game from a big time, put up a lot of score standpoint. And at the end of the year, it means a lot, right? I mean, they say that all the games count the same, but I think, you know, listeners of your podcast and those who follow college football know that you know, if you're Alabama and you lose the first game, if you win the next 11, you still get to play for the national championship, regardless of who you lost to. So uh, the end games definitely seem to count a little bit more. So I think that's going to be a game that we need to circle on the calendar um, as we look towards the possibility of maybe playing in the postseason and playing in a bowl game. It would definitely behoove us to do well. Of course, that is a non-conference game, and it's sometimes a little weird to end with a non-conference game, although we do it with Notre Dame, but everyone's just so used to that when they come out to play in L.A. It's always Thanksgiving weekend, and we usually close out a regular season like that. So it is going to be interesting that it's not closing out with Notre Dame. Instead, it's going to be BYU. And of course, the last time we played BYU, they beat us up in Provo. Yeah, And I think everyone is looking forward to maybe getting a little revenge for that. Of course, the quarterback in that game, Zach Wilson, is now with the New York Jets, taking over for our former USC quarterback, Sam Darnold, who is now in Carolina. So all of those things will come to fruition throughout the season. Hopefully, USC will get it started well against San Jose State on the first weekend. So Dr. Seamus Carr, it is always great to catch up with you. Thank you again for enlightening us with more information about where we stand with this COVID-19 pandemic as we head into the fall of 2021. Well, Nara, again, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. I hope that, you know, anybody has any questions. Definitely, there's plenty of information out there. Continue to find it, get answers to the questions that you have. Again, trust the science. You know, as someone who's at the National Institutes of Health, I can tell you that the people who are out there doing the science, these people are dedicated and they want nothing more than to be able to put this behind us and get back to doing some other science that we do. So just if you can get vaccinated, that would be great. Let's see if we can get more vaccinated students and athletes in Notre Dame. That would be cool. Put that out there. You know, I hope you continue to get better and I hope you make a full recovery here. And then I guess lastly is I'll tell you my sleeper thing. I'm calling it now. USC men's water polo team is going to win the NCAA title this fall. No question. No question. They've got a great team returning and they're uh, so close last year in the finals. But this year, I think if you know you want to put one of your bets on it or uh, however you do, I think there's my bet for the year is uh, I'm going to put USC's winning the NCAA title in water polo, men's water polo this year. So that's your guaranteed, your lock. That's my lock. For the USC fall sports season, USC men's water polo. Winning the NCAA title. Absolutely. That's the lock. I don't even know what the betting terms are, but that's what it is. (laughs) All right. You heard it here first from Dr. Seamus Carr, former walk-on of the USC men's water polo team, is guaranteeing that this year's edition is going to take home the NCAA title. So 
For my guest, Dr. Seamus Carr of the National Cancer Institute at the National Institutes of Health. I'm Nara Wang. Thanks for joining us for episode 34 of the Everything USC podcast presented by Bet Online on the Believe Podcast Network, Los Angeles' number one sports podcast network, the only place with the show for every team in LA and so much more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? And as I end every show, please remember to fight on. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.